Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone, here with a solo podcast for today. Uh, before I dive in, I do want to give some scheduling updates, hoping the next couple of weeks to have Justin Herzig on to go over all of the different formats that are available on Underdog right now, kind of how you should tweak your draft based on the playoff setup. You know, for example, the Bulldog Underdogs advanced four out of 12 out of the regular season, Chow Chow's advanced two out of 12, different playoff formats. So we'll talk with Justin about how you would actually change your strategy based on those formats. Now, those contests may run out, but I think we'll see similarly um, structured contests over the course of the offseason from Underdog. So that should be fun. Also hoping to have Hayden Winks on from Underdog Fantasy the next couple of weeks. And for those of you in the Underdog Cardio Club, going to look at um, some, some Underdog Cardio stuff with Neil Farley and Drew Jennings, who I've interacted with on Twitter and have um, some absurd undercard underdog cardio club drafts where they've been running, you know, 630 pace miles, or I think Neil did a half marathon and, and did a draft. So I talked to them a little bit about that and about running. So that should be a fun episode. Today's episode though, is gonna be pretty quick. Solo pod, just going to rant on a few different things. Uh, not afraid to look silly in your drafts. I'm going to talk a little bit about that concept and embracing being uncomfortable in your drafts. And from there, we'll talk a little bit about quarterback ADPs not lining up with pass catcher ADPs and why I think that's okay. It's actually a pet peeve of mine when people kind of think they have to align perfectly. Going to look at handcuffing running backs and when that can be a logical thing to do. And then also talk about the four tight end strategy. And all those kind of concepts stem from the first one, which is not being afraid to look stupid in your drafts. And, you know, with best ball getting so big the last two years, I've experienced, I feel like a lot of customer panic at times, sometimes with our rankings, especially early in the off season, where people are concerned that they're constantly getting a player or they're concerned that they're never getting a player based off the rankings. And say two things to that one, if you really think you should be drafting or not drafting a player, you can manage your own exposures. You don't have to, you know, be a slave to the rankings. You know, I've talked about when I draft, I'm, digging into ADP, probably even a little bit more than our ranks, which already account for ADP do. So um, keep that in mind. But also, if you do have a strong stance on a player, whether it's because of our ranks or your own feelings, you know, it's okay to dig in on that. Like I'm a big structural drafter, but I'll still have some outside stances here and there. And you know, ultimately, like for playing fantasy football, you can't take it too seriously. I felt like in this industry, myself, other sharp people, but like much more often people that aren't doing this for a living, really afraid to look stupid in the outcomes of their drafts. And uh, at the end of the day, like this is a big guessing game. There's a ton of unknowns. And in general, if you're not afraid to look stupid, you might not be pushing the envelope enough. You know, Justin Herzig on one of the recent podcasts we did with Adam Leviton, the best ball series on the established run podcast talked about with your roster construction, you know, generally, his best drafts he thinks are the ones where he's feeling uncomfortable at, at, at one of the positions, you know, the ones where he's feels super balanced and he doesn't feel uncomfortable anywhere. He thinks those are probably his worst drafts. So you have to embrace being uncomfortable a little bit. Now it's not an excuse to not use evidence-based takes. It's not an excuse to just go nuts and just say, Oh, I'm going to draft this player, you know, no matter what, you know, because, because I feel they're going to have a huge season. You still want to kind of go through, I mean, I mean, the scientific method sounds corny, but you kind of want to go through the process of evaluating 
it. But like when you make all your adjustments at the end of the day, whether it's projections, you know, archetypal analysis, accounting for the market ADP and factors, when you do all of that together, if you still come out with an opinion that's different than the market, don't be afraid to dive in on that. And it could be player takes. It could be something with roster construction. Um, it, it could be all sorts of things. I know there's people out there who you know, talk about different ways in Best Ball Mania 4 to get unique combinations. That's not something I do, but just because um, I shouldn't say it's not something I do, but it's not something that I'm super concerned about. I like to get my unique players just by advancing a lot of teams, hopefully, and then getting some random combinations. But some people were out, will outwardly strive for unique players. And just because I'm not doing that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it um, if you think there's an edge there. And that's something that's hard to quantify. And sometimes those are the best edges to find because if it was easy to quantify, then we would all know the right answer and we'd all be doing that thing. And I know last year I experienced this a little bit with, I joke a lot about Josh Jacobs because had a, a stream on ship chasing where I told those guys they were jumping the shark because they didn't want to draft an eighth round Josh Jacobs on a team where it was like correlated to week 17. We only had one running back. I was like, this, this is insane. We have to take Josh Jacobs here, but I didn't end up with a lot of Josh Jacobs. And part of that was like, I had this stigma with him where I'm like, I can't draft this type of player. You know, I'm going to get killed if he flops. And, you know, I was afraid of looking wrong. And that was a situation where I mentioned putting all those factors together you know, in our ranks, we had a lot of discussions. Nobody in ETR wanted to draft Josh Jacobs, but the way we did our rankings, you know, tied to a method that has a lot of subjective inputs, but kind of an objective process across the board, we had him as like a pretty good value. And I didn't trust that, even though all the factors, the market sentiment was already baked into that. Um, I was just kind of like, you know, I, I can't, I can't, I got weak. I capitulated. So you, you want to capitulate to the market in the extent that you want to factor an ADP into your decision-making. You don't want to capitulate into the market to the extent that after you factor that ADP into your, your thought process and you're still different, you just throw your hands up and capitulate to ADP. That's what you want to avoid. You know, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And, you know, this extends to trying different roster constructions, right? When I first was looking at hyper-fragile running back stuff a few years ago, and I was not the first one on it. I think Mike Beers was the first one really on the hyper-fragile running back strategy. It seemed kind of crazy that you could draft teams where you only took three or four running backs and you stopped there, but you took them early. And those teams did pretty well in 2020 and 2021, did not do well in 2022. You know, the market's changing, of course, but, you know, it, being willing to lean in on that and not draft a fifth, sixth running back in some cases, even though it felt uncomfortable and kind of trusting the process I went through to arrive at those hyperfragile running back strategies paid off dividends. And one strategy that I laughed off a little bit at first that I've, you know, grown to kind of be a little bit fonder of is the four tight end strategy that Dan Zach, who is a poker pro, and he's actually the one that has a big high stakes bet with Justin Herzig of established the run um, on Best Ball Mania 4. He went on Liam's podcast, who is the winner of, of BBM2 and won some DraftKings Best Ball Contest last year and talked about how he does four and five tight end builds. And, you know, it's something I would never do because it's a position that you don't think scores very much. You wouldn't want to allocate those resources to it. You also can max start two tight ends. So that's kind of hard to justify taking four, you know, let alone five for, for a maximum of two spots. 
but then a combination of thinking through how it could work and also looking at some of the actual data that we have on four tight end teams, it turns out it is a pretty viable strategy. And that's because if you do it right, you're generally taking four tight ends late, not early. You're bypassing this mid-tier of tight ends that you know looks good in theory, but quite often does not produce. And you're able on tight end, the way their scores are distributed, you know, just randomly catching touchdowns and whatnot, you can get usable scores from the four, just kind of playing the roulette game with those four guys. And the other thing is, we talk about the importance of not having dead players on your roster. Quite often you get to around 17, 18, you know, people are taking really, really low percentage dart throws at running back and wide receiver. Meanwhile, at the onesie positions, quarterback and tight end, sometimes you have start actual starters there. You know, Hunter Henry is someone that I've been taking. Obviously, Mike Jasicki is there in New England, but they're going to play two tight ends. Jasicki going to be split out wide a lot, and he's going to be on the field. So you can take guys that can be on the field, and you can also get, you know, you're not going to get like crazy. You're not going to find like a Travis Kelsey season late, but you can get breakouts from tight ends late. Um, you know, it's, it's a more random position than I think we realize, but all this is to say, if, you know, Dan Zach had been afraid of looking stupid, he would have never done this for tight end strategy and uh, helped him advance a lot of teams last year. And he was a little bit ahead of the market in that regard. And I'm not saying everyone should do this strategy. I think it fits better again for like, I said, me and Justin are going to do a podcast on the, the different formats for like those formats where you advance four out of 12 of the regular season. I think it really helps with the advance rate. I can see where it might hurt some of the single week upside for something like Best Ball Mania 4, but you want to feel it out throughout your draft. Uh, the other thing is when I mentioned people panicking over rankings, a lot of times people panic over, oh, I'm not getting any of this quarterback and his wide receivers have such good ADPs. We saw it with Russell Wilson last year. We were way behind market on Russ Wilson and the market wasn't even super high on him, even though Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton had pretty strong ADPs. This year, I see it a lot with Trevor Lawrence and the Jacksonville pass catchers where the ADP actually is pretty rich on Lawrence. So it's maybe more of an ETR ranking thing than an ADP thing. But just this concept of like the ADP of the quarterback and the wide receivers having to align uh, tilts me um, because they don't have to align for a couple of reasons. The first reason is we really need to look at the way points are distributed. And if you're going to get a passing attack that's somewhat high volume, but not super high efficiency. And it's also really condensed onto a few pass catchers. You're always going to see the pass catchers for good reason, have ADPs and rankings that look a lot better in combination than you would expect based on where the quarterback is ranked, especially if that quarterback doesn't run a ton. So keep in mind the way points are distributed matters a lot. And then the other thing is when we're looking at wide receivers, and this was the case with Judy and Sutton last year, I tried to make this point in some podcasts. I'll make it again this year with Ridley and Christian Kirk, you know, both going kind of like three, four, five, you know, end of the third um, through the fifth round. And it's that we're not necessarily saying, and ADP is not necessarily either, that just because those players are there, that we expect both of those guys to pay off their ADPs, that we expect both of those guys, you know, to end up as wide receiver 12 and wide receiver 18 or whatever it is. What we're saying is those guys have a good floor ceiling combination that make them strong bets at those specific ADPs. Um, 
it doesn't mean every player in Jacksonville is going to hit. You know, it's very unlikely that Calvin Ridley, Christian Kirk, Evan Ingram, and Zay Jones are all going to pay off their tags, that even three out of the four are going to pay off their tags. But we think that the floor is high enough that the ones that don't pay off their tags will be okay, and the ceiling is worth betting on the ones that could really crush their tags that we're willing to take them at that ADP. And uh, I also see this, you know, with running back ADP sometimes too. It's easy to just say handcuffing running backs is stupid. I'm not going to do it. I'm taking up two roster spots for a maximum of one. I really kept my upside. I don't want to do it. And that was kind of the way I thought about it for a long time. And I think there's some merit to that in terms of like taking a pure handcuff running back. Like if I'm in best ball mania four, I take Saquon Barkley in round two. I'm not taking Matt Breda or, you know, whoever it is for the Giants in round 18, just in case Saquon Barkley gets hurt. Because if Barkley gets hurt, I'm going to lose anyways, okay? But what I am willing to do is say, when the ADPs are good enough, I can I can make bets on, on multiple players from the same backfield, especially if they have dual roles. I like those dual role backfields. So I've been making that bet with the Washington backfield. Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson, the prices are starting. The market's catching up a little bit here, but you can get those guys like ninth, 10th round and you get Brian Robinson. Who's like a little bit of a two down grinder going to get likely a little bit more goal line work. Antonio Gibson, a bit more upside in terms of playmaking ability gets the pass catching work. And I think that makes sense. Taking both of them at ADP, you get two guys that I think are good values um, in and of themselves, if you get them after ADP, because we like both of them before ADP. And they can coexist together where well, one week, you know, they're grinding a lead. Brian Robinson can have a really big week. Antonio Gibson maybe just gets some more pass work another week, and you can use his score. And then they both have contingent value. If one gets hurt for a little bit of stretch, the other becomes a really strong play for a stretch. So I like those types of backfields. And I also kind of skipped over an example from Detroit with Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery, where I think it was Davis Maddock or someone tweeted, like, there's just no way these ADPs are right that, you know, Jameer Gibbs can be a third rounder and David Montgomery an eighth rounder. Just no way. Um, and again, I think back to that pass catcher example of we're not expect just we're not expecting both to hit, but they can both be the correct bet to make at their their respective ADPs. And I feel that way with the Detroit backfield. That's one I might be less prone to handcuff together just because the cost on Gibbs is so high. But if like David Montgomery really slipped past ADP and you got in the ninth round, yeah, I'd probably be okay taking those together. And again, you can kind of see where, you know, Gibbs in that swift type role plus has a ton of upside. And there was just so many high value touches, which maybe, is a little bit noisy year to year. They're probably not going to have as many high value touches for that line's backfield as they did last year, but it's still a good sign for both of these guys to have some value. And David Montgomery in that Jamal Williams role, you can kind of see where they both have like a decent floor on their value and you can make upside cases for both of them. The upside case for Gibbs is like, hey, Swift won people DFS tournaments and they hated him. We're giving him five targets and like eight carries a game. Like what if he gets more, could blow things out of the water, especially given his draft capital and his, potential explosiveness. And then David Montgomery, the upside is, well, Jamal Williams just led the NFL in rushing touchdowns. You know, he's going to get that two down work, even with Jameer Gibbs there, probably going to get some goal line work. And Jamal Williams did nothing in the past catching game, whereas David Montgomery 
he can give you some 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 work there as a receiver out of the backfield. So if you get Jamal Williams' his role with a little bit more pass catching, like that's really strong at pick 90 or whatever for David Montgomery. So again, I'm not like here to super tout Detroit running backs, but these are some strategies I think on their on the face, you know, the four tight end one. Um, being okay, like being exposed to certain wide receivers from teams, but not as exposed to the quarterback, being willing to handcuff running backs. Like, don't be afraid to look stupid if these things make sense, if there's reasons to do these things. I know for me in drafts, what I'm risking sometimes is the positional allocation and the stacking not coming together. I generally trust myself to say, hey, I'm going to get a ton of ADP value mixed with ETR ranking value. So in a weird way, it's kind of like as macro as I am about it, it's like this micro player take approach where like I'm going to get really good values by combination of ETR value and ADP value throughout my draft. I'm going to be stubborn and not dig in and be like, oh, I have to make this stack here. I, you know, I have to get a tight end here. I'm going to be so flexible in that regard that it's going to make me uncomfortable throughout the draft. But, you know, I trust myself to make it work, come around 18, have everything tied together in that room. And I'm risking that sometimes a draft's going to not have the correlation that it needs or be too weak at a position and too strong at another position. But ultimately, I think, you know, drafting this way, being okay, taking that risk that a draft might flop by the end because I'm being so stubborn with value early and just so trusting in myself to make it work. You know, I'm just okay that that one or two might flop and they might look like stupid drafts and people are, you know, could screenshot them and be like, what, you know, what, what is this guy doing? Um, but over the duration of all my drafts, I think I'm going to have some really, really good teams by being flexible and kind of holding firm on some of that value stuff early. So again, don't be afraid to look stupid. It's just fantasy football. What's the worst that happens? You know, very unlikely you're going to win one of these huge tournaments like best ball mania for anyways, again, not an excuse to do dumb things, but it is a reason that if you feel like you have conviction on something to not be afraid to go in and attack that. Worst case, you're wrong and, and you didn't you didn't win something. Best case, though, you've uncovered an edge that you know might not be around for a while. So if you believe it, you're going to kick yourself in a year from now if everybody's doing it um, and you were ahead on it early, but you were afraid to go in on it. So thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope you enjoyed this somewhat ranty solo pod version of Establish the Edge. Like I said, we've got some few... We got a few episodes coming up that I'm really excited about over the next two weeks. And um, you can check those out on Establish the Edge on iTunes. And a lot of this stuff is also going to be posted on the Establish the Run YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening, everybody.